0: Welcome to a special message with Michael Anthony at couragematters.com. Today, we have a special guest speaker, Pastor Brandon Vieth, from Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania. Pastor Brandon is the student ministries pastor at Grace Fellowship, where Michael Anthony serves as the lead pastor. So hold on to your seats as Pastor Brandon teaches from God's word. Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you all this morning because in my very short time here on this earth I've learned a couple of things and what is encouraging to me is I see those things to be true to Scripture and I'm hoping that through this morning I was talking with Pastor Mike in preparation for this is that I need to hear this message probably more than any of you. But I realized that understanding, technique, and execution can change everything. Understanding... Technique and execution can change everything. So what I want to do is I want to dive in on a specific passage and kind of break down why this is so vital in how we live out the gospel, how we walk with the Lord. Now, this morning being Partnership Sunday, we're going to have some baptisms later this morning, and I'm very excited about that. But a couple Saturdays ago, we had our partnership class. If you have not gone through our partnership class, I strongly encourage you to do so. We talk through our vision, our mission, our values, our culture, and basically you find out what are we all about. Why do we do what we do? Now, a vision is where do you want to go? And your mission is how you're going to get there. And a part of our mission is Luke ten twenty seven. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is ultimately where I want to be spending our time, but we're going to be looking at a different verse to figure this out and break this down. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to 1 John chapter four. That's where we're going to be spending a majority of our time. And my youth professor. He's the director of youth ministries at Liberty University, dear friend of mine, mentor of mine. He taught me something very early on in my undergraduate degree is that you can either jet ski or you can scuba dive. You can jet ski in that you can just blaze over, fly through chapters of scripture. You can dive deep on just a couple of verses. So what we're going to do in 1 John chapter 4 is we're going to be doing a little jet skiing. We're going to be doing a little scuba diving in the middle of fall. I know it's weird. We're going to do it anyway. But the reason this idea is so important is a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we were able to go and enjoy vacation with my in-laws and my parents because they're retired and they get to go to uh, Key West for a couple months out of the year. The life of a retiree is so hard and they're here this morning, so I want to pick on them a little bit. But this last trip that we made, it was incredible. We were able to go snorkeling off the coast of Key Largo, which is one of the larger islands in the Florida Keys. And there's a statue there called Christ of the Abyss. And my wife and I, my in-laws, my parents, we took a boat a couple miles off the shore. And as you're driving out, you just start to see water. You're just kind of jet skiing out over the water. And you see a lot but you miss the beauty of everything that's going on. Most incredible thing. We get out of the boat into the water and it's freezing cold. It's really choppy. So at the moment, nothing really looks that appealing. And you have the the mask on, the snorkel on. You know, it's the the one attire that you think you look so good in with your hair pulled back and your face is kind of like stretched back around your ears. And you put your face down into the water and there's a 30 foot tall statue of Jesus Christ looking up at you like this when you jet ski, you see a lot, but when you don't scuba dive, you miss a lot. So we're going to jet ski over some passages, but we're also going to dive deep on some verses together to help figure out this valuable information we're getting from Luke 10, 27. So let's look at 1 John chapter four. Now, 1 John... Considered a general epistle, was written by the apostle John. And what's interesting is the most likely time frame that John is writing this is he is the last surviving apostle that intimately experienced Jesus. So when he is writing this, he is the last surviving apostle who had intimately experienced Jesus. And he's writing it from the perspective of returning to the basics, getting back to the basics of Christianity. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're going to jet ski here, so hang with me. You can follow along on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. brother. And that sounds pretty familiar. And you're going to see as we've jet skied over that verse, we're going to scuba dive on a few particular pieces, but we're going to pick this apart and see that your understanding of Luke ten twenty seven and the depth of Luke ten twenty seven, your technique in executing that mission and then living it out daily. The execution of that from day to day will radically change every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life. Because here's the problem. Our understanding is incredibly limited. So I have the blessed opportunity to be able to volunteer in in several ways with Spring Grove High School and Spring Grove Middle School. And one way that I have been able to get plugged in has been through sports, whether it be through coaching. But I've also been able to, as of recently, I've been able to go in and chaperone the lunch periods on Monday mornings, which is a huge thing for me because I'm able to just have FaceTime with literally over a 1,000 lost high schoolers which is an incredible thing. And this past Monday was my first time uh, doing this. And while I was there, I saw guys from the soccer team, which I helped coach last year. I saw girls from the soccer team. I helped coach this year, boys from the volleyball team. And what was interesting is there's three lunch periods at Spring Grove. And during the second and the third lunch period, the guys had come over. They asked me to take them outside so they could play four square. Now, how many in here have ever played four square before? I'm pretty sure that is classic chat. Really? Y'all are missing out. But basically, the idea of four square is you're supposed to stay within your square and you get this kickball-style ball and you're bouncing it through the squares and you want to stay in the game as long as possible. Now, during the second lunch period, a group of guys asked me to come out, watch them outside so they could play four square. And there was this one kid, this one student, who thought that he understood the game. And he would get into his square, and if you know the game, you once you're in your square, you need to pass the ball to the other players. There's four players, four squares. And you pass the ball to the other players, and if it bounces through your square, then you're out. So this kid, all excited, ready to go, it's his turn. He gets up into the square and it's served to him. It bounces through and then he goes, okay, well, so what happens now? Well, you're out. Oh, okay, goes back in line. Couple minutes later, it's his turn again. He gets back in, ball's served to him. You're out again. Oh, okay, and he gets back in line. But he was so adamant that he understood the game. And finally, I looked over at one of the boys that played on the soccer team. I said, Gabe, you need to explain the rules to him. He doesn't get it. And his understanding of a very simple game changed how he played the game. So we need to change our understanding of Luke 10, 27 to be able to change how we play the game. Because here's the problem. We bring our own finite, fleshly, human, worldly understanding into the context of Luke 10, 27, but that is not God's understanding when he gives it. That's right. So when we look at Luke 10, 27, we're told love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We read that and we think, okay, so I'm gonna do that from my understanding, from my perspective. The problem is our understanding, our perspective of Luke 10, 27 is that love changes that love can come and go freely. And actually the word that's used for heart, the Greek word cardia that's used for heart, basically means your intention. The Greek word used for soul, it actually means being. For strength, it means your ability and for mind, it means your will. But in our understanding, our intentions can change. Our abilities can change. So if we take our understanding into Luke 10, 27, then love is subjective. Then love changes. But let's scuba dive in on 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to see that that is not God's understanding. So let's look together. First John chapter four, starting in verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows it. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now I want to pause there because God's understanding of love, our understanding is that love changes. It is fluid, but with God, things are fact. They're direct, to the point. So our understanding of Luke 10, 27, that if I'm to love my God, if I'm to love my neighbors, but that love can change. That love is fluid. That love can flex back and forth. But with God, it is a fixed point. And here's what I wanna hone in on. Right at the end of 1 John 4, chapter eight, it says, God is love. And one of the most insignificant things in that verse turns out to be the most significant, and that's the period at the end of the sentence because a period signifies the end of a thought, the end of an idea, the end of a point. So here's what First John 4 doesn't say. It does not say God is love if you love him in return. It does not say God is love, but you have to keep all his commandments. It does not say God is love until you make enough money. It does not say God is love as long as you're a certain race or a certain gender or a certain age. But what we end up doing in our understanding is we continue the thought. So we say, I'm gonna love the Lord my God as long as he provides for me. I'm gonna love the Lord my God if he makes my life simple. I'm gonna love the Lord my God, but he needs to answer this prayer first. And we put fleshly, human, sinful understanding and perspective on a verse that is not ours to change. The beauty of 1 John 4, 8 is that it ends with the period. God is love, period. There's no changing that. It does not say God is love if you're a good enough person. That means it does not matter how you came in here this morning. It does not matter if this past week has been the best of your life and you feel that you've been crushing it for the Lord. It does not matter if this past week you walked in here and you fell every single time you were tempted. It does not matter if this past week you had to declare bankruptcy. It does not matter if this past week for some reason you didn't go and share the gospel with that person. Now God does not waver on his expectations of us but his love never changes. But in our understanding, we take the position of the thief on the cross, hanging next to Jesus. In Luke 23, the two thieves hanging next to Jesus. And one of them looks over and he says, are you not the Messiah? Save us and save yourself. And it's as if the thief is saying, aren't you God? Then prove it. Aren't you God? You're saying you love me, then prove it. So I'll reciprocate that love if you fix my circumstances. I'll reciprocate that love, but you have to do me this favor first. But God didn't come to make your life simple. He came to give you life in the first place. Amen. Amen. So our understanding has to change. It has to change. Or we are nowhere near in that vehicle taking us to our vision, taking us to our destination. So your understanding changes everything. Number two, your technique Changes everything. As I said before, I had the opportunity the past two years to be able to coach at Spring Grove. Last year with the boys' soccer team, this fall with the girls' soccer team. And as I'm at practice working with the girls, a lot of the times I was working with them on their offense, I was working with them on their shooting, because their understanding of the game was there. They knew okay, for me to score, I have to shoot the ball. Sometimes their execution wasn't there, but that's okay. But what we needed to work on was their technique. And when it comes to shooting a soccer ball, the difference between scoring a goal and a field goal are very different. And at Spring Grove, on both of the soccer fields, the soccer goal sits right underneath the football field goal. So the difference between a goal and a field goal is only about three inches So when you're going to shoot the ball, you want to hit the ball with the side of your foot, the top of your foot, never with your toe. And you want to contact the ball in the middle, maybe a little lower to put some height on it. But as soon as you come just a tad lower, three inch difference, a three inch difference between scoring a goal and kicking a field goal, your technique has to be flawless in order to execute. So our technique, with this understanding, this human fleshly, earthly understanding that love is fluid, that love changes, that love fits into my circumstances, our technique turns into, I'm going to love when it's convenient. I'm gonna love when it lines up with my circumstances. So if I have the time, if I have the patience, if I'm in a good enough mood, then I'll be loving. And this is my technique. And it is a flawed technique. So let's look together at what God's technique is in 1 John 4, starting in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then check this out. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love this, this is so cool. That in 1 John four verses nine and 10, John makes it so simple. Listen, the definition of love is defined by God. Let me explain why, because Jesus died for you. That's his technique. And then he repeats it. Now that you understand love, now that you understand the true definition of love, let's go back to the original command. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the exact statement he starts out with in 1 John 4, 7. So he starts out by making a statement. The apostle John starts out by saying, listen, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love one another. And him being filled with the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Holy Spirit, saying, John, you need to redefine what love is. They don't get it. We don't get it. I don't get it. Our understanding is off. So he rewords things and explains, listen, this is the definition of love. This is how your understanding of love needs to be. This is what your technique needs to be. So Jesus explains and defines and embodies love. So where our technique is when things are convenient, his technique is self-sacrifice. That he loves when it's difficult. And this is tricky for me. It's incredibly difficult because our natural tendency is to defend. Our natural tendency is to go on the defensive, that when someone is attacking you, Verbally, when someone is being difficult with you and you are getting frustrated, in your sin nature, in my sin nature, my natural tendency is to be defensive. And yet we see Jesus from the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. So we end up getting angry with lost people because they don't know the rules. So we put our understanding, our perspective, and we force that onto other people. And when they don't get it, then we say, I can't love you because you don't get it. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. You're not hearing what I'm hearing. So how can I love you? It's the exact opposite of Jesus's technique that he loves in the midst of difficulty. He doesn't cower in fear away from it. So what should our new technique be based on this fact? 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. He repeats it again, saying, listen, you gotta get this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How dare I? stand up here as a pastor claiming to love God, claiming to believe in God, claiming to proclaim the gospel. And how dare I leave here and not be loving to other people? How dare us? Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, I discipline or I beat, I rebuke my body, my flesh, lest I be disqualified. He says that in 1 Corinthians 9. And why does he say that? Because in Galatians five, it says the flesh is in direct opposition to the spirit. Every single ounce of you is trying to push you towards hatred. And yet we're surprised that the world is throwing rocks at each other every single ounce of your sin nature is driving you away from holiness and righteousness, is driving you away from God. And God is the definition, the embodiment of love. So for you to be able to understand that love, embrace that love, embody that love, and pursue that love, you have to beat your flesh into submission. And that's what brings us to our execution. That when we look At the execution we're supposed to have, we always do what is easy. So our understanding is limited. Our technique is when it's convenient and our execution is what is easy. So what do we revert to? As those outside the church are throwing stones, we're begging for love on Facebook. We beg for love on social media. But have we begged for love eye to eye with someone who is facing eternal punishment? Have we begged for love enough on our knees before God? Or do we leave that for the things we can remain anonymous? Throw a quick comment. Hey guys, just love each other. So our execution turns into what is easy. And yet Jesus' execution is flawless. In the face of difficulty, he does not back down. Now here's what's crazy is we talk about Luke ten twenty seven and we get fired up, but let's look at this together. This is so cool. In Luke 10, 27, starting in verse 25, actually, it completely changes how we should view this verse. This is why your understanding, your technique, your execution changes everything. Let's look at this together. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer or a scribe of the law, this guy would have known the law to every cross T, every dotted I. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? So Jesus responds to this man that's an expert in the law. He says, you know the law, you tell me. You've got it perfected. What do you think It says, How do you read it? Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Listen to how Jesus responds. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Jesus did not jump into some gospel presentation about he is the culmination of that love. But he looked at this lawyer and talking with this lawyer, this lawyer's understanding is that if I can do this, then I'm going to inherit eternal life. But what he didn't understand is that is not possible to do. In your sinful understanding, in your human techniques, in your flawed execution, we cannot accomplish this. That statement is a culmination of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law is not possible to keep in our sin nature. So Jesus fully knowing that this isn't possible says this lawyer, you can go ahead and try, sure. But in his sovereignty, this is incredible. Look at this, 1 John 4, right smack dab in the middle of all we just talked about. 1 John 4, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In the middle of all of this description on love, in the middle of all of this breakdown of what you're supposed to do in being loving, the Holy Spirit working through the apostle John writes, listen, you won't be able to do this on your own, but if you embrace my spirit, this type of love I've just laid out for you is possible. You know, we talked last week about how a person who is genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be intentionality, there's going to be courage, there's going to be humility. But a believer genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit is also going to have the capability to love the way God defines love. So instead of being unloving conditionally, we actually start to be loving unconditionally. I know that this is difficult. We all know that this is difficult. One little thing that I've done to try and help me with this is I set a reminder in my phone every single day at 10.27 a.m. to remind me to meditate on and pray through Luke 10.27 because it is a daily decision. You look at the language of the word of God and it's repetitive, not redundant, but it's repetitive and it's consistent. So we're told what? Pick up your cross and follow me daily. Pray daily continually. Repent and keep repenting. Believe and keep believing. There is no one and done to this life. Yes, once you enter into relationship with Jesus, you are freely justified. That issue of the eternal destination of your life is settled. But we're also told to be sanctified, continually enter into the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, My wife and I, we've been married for about two and a half years, and we're really excited because we're expecting our first child in April. Thank you guys so much. And this changes, this changes my circumstances, but it does not justify my love for her to change. And I love my wife. Some of the, some of the things she's been experiencing, some of them are extremely difficult and some of them, to be honest, are hilarious. One of the symptoms she's been experiencing is her sciatica has been acting up and I kid you not, we're walking down the road and it looks like she got shot with an elephant dart. We're just walking and all of a sudden it's... "Ah, (laughs) I got a plan for an extra five minutes to get anywhere assuming her sciatica is going to act up. I love you, honey. I'll get in trouble. You won't. It's okay. And some of you are looking at me, Brandon, two and a half years, that's great. I've been married 25. Church. Church if that's what you're thinking right now, then you just jumped right back into your fleshly understanding of what love is. Show me a verse in the Bible that says after a certain amount of years you've walked with the Lord, you're now exempt from certain things. That after so many years of marriage, I can make some compromises in how I love my spouse. Now that my kids are this old, I don't have to love them as much as i did when they were an infant because that person has betrayed me this many times i now don't have to show them the same kind of love i did when i first met them because that's our sinful our fleshly our human understanding our human technique our human execution your understanding of love in the context of luke 10:27 changes everything your technique And living that out changes everything. And your execution from the day to day, making the daily decision that I'm going to love God today, I'm going to love my neighbor today, changes everything. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.